welcome everybody to episode 68 of the ADV podcasts. And uh, yeah, how are you feeling today, Seamilk? Feeling good? Hmm. I don't really know what's going on with him. <laughs> in all honesty, uh, I'm doing the show kind of solo today. Seamilk is in Seattle. He's off uh, taking a class in, what was it again? Dreamcatcher weaving or something along those lines. Anyway, I will be doing it solo, but we have a lot to cover today. I'm glad you could join me. And Seamilk will be part of the show later on. You'll see what I'm talking about. So I guess the best thing we can do right now, guys, is just saunter right into it where we talk about what's new. And that is what's new in China. Um, and that's with regards to, well, everything in China. Now, um, there's a clip that's been circulating around, and I just wanted to show it to everyone, because you know how China always goes on about, hmm, I don't know, defeating poverty and how poverty is not an issue in China? Well, there's a clip that, and I, I cannot say the date on the clip, so you know it could be from a while ago, but it just uh, it shows a little bit of poverty, and it's kind of disgusting at the same time. And it's of a woman who's uh, taunting young children, young poor children with a 10 RMB note. So let's just go straight to it. Um, I'm going to get myself and creepy sea milk out of the picture so that we can uh, take a look and see what's going on here. <laughs> okay, so um, yeah, let me get that out of there for now. Uh, that's 10 RMB, that's 1.5 US dollars, and using it to taunt uh, poor kids in the countryside is not a very nice thing to do. Anyway, um, let's move on to something very positive, incredibly positive in fact, something that I'm incredibly happy about, and I hope it's the start of something that's been necessary for a very, 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 very long time here, guys. And that is uh, what you see behind me. This again, a credit to our subreddit. If you don't know, it's reddit.com forward slash r forward slash ADV China. Somebody posted this. Uh, there is a, an influencer, Instagram influencer called uh, Rachel Meets China. Now, I have to be honest with you. I've never heard of her before. I don't know anything about her. I do now, obviously, after doing a little bit of research. But the important thing is underneath her Instagram name, take a look there, what it says. It says... China state-controlled media. Now, this is something that I've been asking for for the longest period of time. Now, uh, what I actually did is, uh, I'm going to just move forward a little bit, <clears throat> is I went onto her Instagram and I actually clicked to see what that said, okay? Now, bear with me because that's it's up on the screen. That's way too small for me to, to read. So I actually have it here locally on my, my computer. One second. Um, there's a desktop. Uh, it's got to be this one. Yeah. Okay, so when you click on that part where it says uh, China state-controlled media, it says, Rachel meets China, China state-controlled media. Instagram believes this publisher may be wholly or partially under the control of China. Yay! Why can't we have more of this? Okay, now, a lot of you might think, wait, that's a little unfair. You know, how do you know that this uh, person is working for, you know, the Chinese government or is connected in any way, shape or form? And I thought that myself. So I went through some of her Instagram posts and, well, it's clear as day. Uh, you can see right there. One of her posts has her on CGTN and it says there, Rachel Weiss, host of China Plus on CGTN. So she is a CGTN host and she is 
working for the Chinese government. Now, why can we not get the same designation on all of the shills that we constantly talk about? The people that go to the Xinjiang theme park, for instance, um, the, peop the genocide denial theme park. If, if you haven't seen it already, you should see my video about that. It's pretty spot on. You know, the people that work for CGTN going on all these propaganda fluff piece trips, dancing with vegetables and whatever else that they do, they work for CGTN. They are on CGTN, but they don't have that designation. So I'm hoping that this, however this happened to this person, because I have no idea, um, I'm just hoping that this catches on and we start to see more and more of the shills be labeled as Chinese state-controlled media, because that's fair. That gives people a, a kind of a, a proper way to assess what's going on. Because if you do go to her Instagram, which I don't, by the way, guys, I don't know anything about this girl. Um, I got nothing against her. In fact, I've had to redact, you know, a lot of the people that I know personally follow her. So she must be quite uh, popular amongst the sort of China people. Uh, I don't suggest you go there and say anything bad to her. I don't particularly think she's doing anything bad. If you look at her pictures, it's all just the usual, you know, wow, look at how great the Beijing Summer Palace looks. Look how, you know, how great the the b cherry blossoms in Wuhan are. Oh, look at this. Look at that. Every single post is some glamour shot about how amazing China is. Now, if you were to, to go through that as an ordinary person, you might be swayed to thinking, wow, China is just so amazing. But the fact that she is going on these paid She's obviously paid. She works for CGTN. She's the host of China Plus. She does all this stuff for the government because CGTN is the propaganda arm, the Western propaganda arm of the Chinese state media. She's going on all these trips and taking these fancy pictures whenever she goes on these sponsored uh, or part of her show or whatever it is. You need to know that. You know, it's very disingenuous to just be like, I'm an influencer and having fun. Meanwhile, you're actually working for the Chinese government. And that's why I think it's so important. And this is such an important development. And like I said, I can't wait to see that little designation on all of the Shills accounts. This has to happen. However this came about, I just hope it continues. So that's a little bit of good news as far as, you know, what's new. Uh, let's move on to something now which is not good news. In fact, it's pretty awful. But, okay, bear with me here, guys. What I'm about to show you, I'm only showing you because it has a happy ending, okay? I would not have shown you this clip if it didn't have a happy ending. So for those of you uh, who might feel a little distraught when they see this clip, what's going on, do not worry, everything worked out fine. But now, this is an issue that I have been talking about in uh, my videos in particular, and we talk about it on the show very often, me and Creepy Sea Milk here. Isn't that right? Uh... You're supposed to say yes, whatever, you just, just, whatever. Man, that's creepy. I don't know how I'm supposed to do this show with that staring at me the whole time. Anyway, <clears throat> something we've talked about a lot in the past is this bystander effect and this uh, lack of good Samaritans in China. And it is a real problem. It's, it's a huge problem that affects everybody in China. So on the surface, China does appear to be very safe. You can walk around the streets and, you know, at night, and usually even as a, as a young woman, you can walk around at night in the streets, and, and you're kind of okay. However, if something does happen to you, that's where the danger lies, is that people are very reluctant to step in. So let's just roll this clip for a little bit. I'm going to take myself out of the picture. By the way, this happened fairly recently, 9th of July, um, and it was in... Uh, Qingzhou in Guangxi province. Let's take a quick look here. I did a little bit of uh, research to find out where it was and all that. Now you can see this young woman just standing on the street 
outside a restaurant. You know, you know, you can see someone in the restaurant sees her there as people driving past. Mm-hmm. Everything seems fine. Okay. So for those of you who can't see what's going on, she's basically being dragged into a car here, kidnapped. Now she's screaming bloody murder, but nobody's paying attention. She's shouting in Chinese, help me, help me. Uh, now, I do want you to pay attention to the fact that the, you might think, oh, it doesn't look like there are many people around. There, are, there was a woman in the restaurant who saw her. You can now see a guy on his scooter who's just driven past, who's driving past. He kind of takes a mild interest in what's going on. Let's see if he, like, stops to help. He looks like a, you know, a, a strapping man who could step in, right? Let's look. It's like, hmm... Not my problem, he rides off. Uh, here comes another one coming around the corner. Kind of hesitant. Should I? Shouldn't I do something? I don't know. The guy's literally got her in the car trying to slam the door, and she's obviously just preventing him by having her, uh, her leg or her arm or something to stop it. Okay, now... Now... Um, you can hear someone, someone shouted something. So somebody finally decided to, you know, intervene and shout something. This is where the good part of the story comes in. Take a look at this guy in the restaurant, by the way. Man, do I hate people like this. And you get them all over China. Whenever there's an incident going on, you get these guys that just come and stare, okay, with their hands behind their back. It's entertainment for them. They don't step in. They just stare. Watch him. He just stares. Well, it looks kind of interesting what's going on over there. Now, he hears some people shouting, and you see some people finally start to come. So the guy inside the restaurant's like, okay, I guess I can go out and take, take a look, a little closer look. Now, again, very important to note here is a huge bunch of people because somebody finally got the courage to say something okay i timed it by the way it took a minute a minute of her screaming and screaming bloody murder being kidnapping trying to be dragged into this car one minute before anyone even said anything so the guy you can see there are lots of people around they're all sitting having their dinner or whatever nearby so one guy finally got the courage to shout at the guy and then a bunch of people came together as a crowd to confront this one little man over here by the way, you see, they don't do anything to him. They don't try to actually stop him. They just walked there. That's it. So the guy's like, okay, fine. It's not worth my, my time or my trouble. He gets his shoe back on. He hops in his car and he drives off. Okay? That, that's it. <laughs> um, here's the thing. This is what's always worried me about China. Um, is for the people that I, I, I love who live there and also for my, my wife and my daughter or whoever, in China, if somebody 
attacks your wife or tries to do something to your child, kidnap your child or something, people don't step in. People do not help. This is a huge issue in China. This once again just illustrates it, okay? This was just the other day in, uh, you can see a pretty busy, semi-upmarket looking area of Qingzhou in uh, Guangxi province. And nobody stepped in to stop the guy. What you did eventually get was a crowd that kind of like approached and, and shouted at him and he just drove off and nothing happened to the guy. If that woman wasn't as strong as she was, if she hadn't fought as hard as she did, the guy would have been off and nothing would have happened to him because it took a minute before anyone even decided to step in. And you saw people were riding past on their scooters. People were just kind of looking and staring at what was going on. If he had managed to get her in the car quickly and closed the door and driven out of there, that's it. Done. You got to understand this is a huge issue in China that people don't speak about because they're um, ashamed of it, I think. And they also know deep down that they would react in the same way. Most of my Chinese friends and family know that if they see something like that, they wouldn't intervene. Most of the Chinese people I know, which is shameful, but that's how society has conditioned a lot of people there. Anyway, let's move on to something a little more um, funny after this serious jump. All right, we got a little, uh, another little interesting thing uh, from our ADV um, podcast subreddit. And it's a, a meme. You know, the Lion King, you've got uh, Simba and his father, whatever his father's name was, uh, Mufasa, I think. It says, look, comrade, everything the light touches is Xinjiang. And Simba says, wow, <laughs> turns around and says, but what is that shadowy place? And this is one of the, those lunatic shill apologists over here, sick events. And uh, it turns around and it's actually Winnie the Pooh saying, that's the concentration camp. You must never go there, comrade. I thought it was pretty funny. Anyway, just take the edge off. Um, all right, guys. So that's kind of what's new. Um, what's new at the moment anyway. So I thought I'd answer a couple of quick super chats and we'll get into our main segment, which is actually about being locked up in a Chinese jail. Um, and it's something that I've, I've been wanting to talk about for a while now. All right. So first super chat we have to answer over here i've got it over here is from brad richardson thank you very much he said you guys should watch the south park episode banned in china um i think it would be awesome if you guys did a reaction video of it yeah look we've seen it i think a lot of people who watch this show have seen it it's actually very good i i thought it was fairly accurate and um it was kind of ballsy of them to do it, especially at the time, because everybody's pandering to the CCP. And for them to do that just means definite insta-ban in China, 100%. Mm. All right, next one. Uh, Rate Cook, thank you very much, said from July 2021, AliExpress will need to collect VAT on sales of goods delivered to EU customers. Does that comply in the US? I actually don't know. And that's interesting. I think they do need to be more... Uh, rules and 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 uh, costs for companies like AliExpress because it's completely unfair. You can order a, a $1 widget from China and it gets shipped free to your door in the States, for instance, because of all their bullshit trade agreements because they say they're a developing country, you know? The World Trade Organization gives them huge subsidies and they don't have to pay taxes on this and that. So a $1 thing can come for free. But if I order something for a dollar, let's just say in a one state away, I'm in California. If I order something for a dollar in uh, Arizona, probably end up costing me two, three dollars to ship it here. So there's, it's completely unfair 
for local made product products in whichever country because you can go on Alibaba or AliExpress or whatever these places are and just order and get something for nothing. So I think there should be some kind of tariffs put up just to make it fair for local competition in uh, whichever country. Okay, cool. And I'll do one more from PowerShift. It says, Japan's defense minister said it will make Sichuan pork out of the PLA if it dares invade Taiwan. <laughs> Clean up on Al Shi. <laughs> nice. Yeah, look, that's a big thing. Um, Japan did say that it would step in if it meant it had to defend itself because there's a clause from after World War II where Japan was told you're not allowed to have an army, you're not allowed to, you know, get involved in anything, but you can have a defense force. So they kind of have this situation that if they need to defend themselves, that's when they'll fight. And they use that wording when talking about if China invaded Taiwan because it would make it dangerous for Japan. So that's a big step, and it's a very bold thing to say because, of course, China hit back with all its wolf wanker, turd warrior nonsense, um, you know, in order to try and... Sorry, turn this off, but always got to have some beeps and boops in this thing. Um, anyway, yeah, I think it was a very bold move. Anyway, let's get on to our main one over here, guys, which, of course, is... Let me find it. It's got to be here, Soft Power Hour, where we talk about uh, the way China tries to change your mind. Now, this one's a little different. You know... This is an interesting topic, and I wish more people would talk about it. Um, and that is getting arrested and going to jail in China or being detained in China. I know many people that it's happened to, but I'll be honest, the reason you don't hear about it is most of the time it was their fault. So they're ashamed and they don't want to talk about it because it makes them look bad. I'll give you a couple of examples before we roll this um, interview. We actually had an interview with a guy who... Um, was detained and he i'll let him explain his story in the interview and sea milk's a part of that interview like i said you you don't have to deal with you know creepy sea milk during that particular segment but he'll be back afterwards when we do the rest of the show um thing is um i'm gonna give you some ex like examples here i was always part of wechat groups uh, while i was in china and i would also meet up with other foreigners very often. And I'd, for instance, come across foreigners, you're hanging out at a bar and they just light up a blunt, you know, starting to smoke marijuana. And I'd be like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? You know, I'm out of here. I'd get up and I'd leave. And I would tell them this, I don't care what you think. This is not the place to do that kind of thing. I'm not trying to be like a, a prude or try to say like, oh, you know, drugs are bad or anything like that. I'm saying, listen, you're in China. You don't smoke weed when you're in China. I don't care where you come from. And it, it was a, a big thing with Canadians, obviously, because it's illegal there. And a lot of Americans, too, because they're just used to smoking it. So they, they, it's very hard for them to drop that habit. So they'd still smoke weed because you can still get it in China. I mean, it's it's fairly easy once you get to know the circles and stuff. So they'd smoke weed or they'd take ketamine or whatever weird stuff they'd do. And I'd always, whenever anyone was anywhere near drugs in China, I would completely disassociate myself from them. But I'd tell them, listen, in groups and, and if I was there, don't do it, man. You're making a mistake. And this is just one example I'm giving because there are plenty of other examples. So here's an example. One guy outright, outright told me, oh, you go, go fuck yourself, you piece of shit. I do this every day. We all do it. You can do it in China. You're talking shit. You just, you know so pessimistic about things, et cetera, et cetera. And literally just went at me for a long time about like, shut up, you don't know what you're talking about. Anyway, I don't know, about a year later, I get a message from the guy, sent me an email and he was apologetic and he said, listen, man, I've just been deported. I'm just getting on the plane 
you know, I'm just finally got my phone back. I'm just letting people know what happened to me. Uh, I think he, he actually sent me a, sorry, not an email. He sent me a, we, a WeChat message, which I actually still have. And he's like, listen, what they did was they actually came into his school because he was a foreign teacher, like most foreigners are English teachers. They came into his school and they took hair samples from every single foreign teacher there. And they tested everybody. And if anyone had, you know, because they can do that thing where they can test like months in the past because it stays in your hair. If anyone had anything in their um, in their hair, they arrested them. And um, someone else who was also involved in this particular bust was in the same WeChat group as these guys, not even in the raid. So what they did was they also checked everybody's phones. And they were like, oh, okay, all these people are in this one group and they've discussed drugs in this group. And they went and found every single person that was in this group, including another individual, and then they tested them. So he wasn't even at the, the school. He didn't even work there. He wasn't part of the initial raid, but they got him later, went to his apartment. Because, of course, every foreigner has to be registered. It's part of your visa process. It's part of what you do. They know where you are. So he also got nabbed up in the same thing. I received separate messages from him. At the end of the day, the guy was like, listen, I wish I'd listened to you. They put him through detention camp uh, where they... You're going to hear it's very similar to what the story in this interview is all about. And they also put him through like a mandatory two-week anti-drug rehabilitation thing where they made them sit around, you know, in I think it was pink T-shirts and day in and day out just re like chant why drugs are bad, things like that. So, you know, I've had people reach out to me after their detention to say they wish they'd listened to me and, um, you know, they didn't realize how bad it was until it happened. And very often you hear about these guys who've been detained because they got into a little scuffle at a bar or because, you know, like Wendell Brown, if you remember his story, where he got into a little uh, scuffle at a bar with people throwing beer bottles at him and he fought back and he ended up in jail for years in China. There's all these terrible things that happen to people, but you don't hear about it because, number one, there's no news. When people get detained in China, they don't get to contact their family. And that's the worst part is that they go and disappear for, for weeks, months, even years sometimes, and nobody can find out what happened to them because there's none of this make your phone call stuff or call a lawyer or anything like that. When they catch you, they catch you and you're done. So it's always rumors you hear through the grapevine. Oh, the police raided the school or raided this bar and took so-and-so away. Anyone know what's happened to him? So it's kind of, they keep, they keep it out of the news that way because nobody can get out and talk about it. And then when people do eventually get out and they leave, they are usually ashamed because they were doing something bad. They were stupid enough to break the law and take drugs in China, for instance, or work illegally or whatever it is. However, occasionally people are bold enough to speak out, especially if they've actually been in the wrong. They speak out. And that serves as a real, um, how can I say, it's, it's a service to other foreigners. And one last example before we go into this uh, particular uh, interview is and this is this was great. There was a guy that I met very early on. He's a Canadian guy, um, and I met him very early on, probably 2007. And he was doing the illegal teaching thing. Now, this is quite common, especially back then, where people would just come on a tourist visa or a business visa or something, and they'd work, and they'd work for multiple training centers and kindergartens. And then you just go and you finish one, you go to another. And he was making a lot of money. He was making bank because you get paid cash and it's all straightforward there. And he said to me, <clears throat> we're having down, sitting down having drinks. He said, if anything ever happens, I'll let you know because there's always rumors and bullshit around this stuff. People are like, you know, when something happens to someone, no one knows. And he did let me know because he got caught. He was teaching in um, 
uh, a very upmarket kindergarten in the area. It's called the Experimental Shinjin Experimental Kindergarten, something stupid like that. I could look it up. And uh, he got called down into the office, and there were police there that had been watching his class on the CCTV cameras. And they basically arrested the guy and deported him because of that and fined him. And he sent me messages and said, listen, just so that I told you if there was anything, I'd, I'd let you know to cut through the bullshit. And he told me the full story of what happened to him. He got detained as well for a period of time. And I was very appreciative of that because that was something I could use as um, a warning to other people that I met. Because, I don't know, when expats get to China, especially back then, they tend to be very loudmouth. They don't care. They're like, oh, yeah, man, I'm teaching illegally. I'm just on a business visa out there. I'm like, listen, dude, if you're going to do that kind of thing, Maybe don't be so blatantly out there about it. And I could use that guy's ex story as an example, you know, that kind of thing. Anyway, I've talked too much about this nonsense. I got so many anecdotal stories I could talk about it for years, which is probably what I'm going to end up doing. Anyway, let's go straight into this interview. Like I said, this is an important one. And uh, it's a dude named, named Stephen. But yeah, let's just get into right, it. Right, everybody. Uh, we've got a very special guest who's going to tell us about his experience um, in a Chinese jail. And I think we can learn a lot from this. Mm -hmm. So how about you introduce yourself? Yeah, for sure. Hey, guys, how's it going? Um, my name is Stephen Scher. Uh, so like Winston and Matt, I uh, lived and worked in Beijing for a good chunk of my life. Uh, I personally spent five years out there uh, living and working in uh, Beijing. Um, and so I got there initially in 20, end of 2011, early 2012. Uh, started teaching English for a few years, worked on my Mandarin. So my Mandarin improved, got some opportunities to do some consulting work. Uh, and then from there, ended up uh, co-founding my own company. It was an educational consulting firm uh, about a year and a half, two years prior to being detained. Okay, so what led you to China before we get to the dark stuff? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so I think like a lot of kind of foreign expats that land in China, we were just kind of looking for something different. Um, so I had traveled for a good chunk of my life. Uh, my parents both immigrated to the U.S. Um, from Switzerland and Mexico. Uh, so I had done a lot of traveling throughout um, my kind of youth, if you will, going to visit family uh, and doing trips throughout Europe, doing trips throughout Latin America. So I was very kind of well-versed on, you know, hopping on you know, different flights and, and getting into different cultures and all that stuff. And so I think part of that kind of became, became ingrained. Uh, just in who I am. And so um, when I graduated from college uh, at Sonoma State University in the kind of San Francisco Bay Area, um, I wanted to do something a little bit different. I have a degree in chemistry. The initial trajectory was, hey, go get a PhD in OCHEM, but it wasn't definitely my, was not my calling, definitely was not my passion. And so I wanted to do something different for a litany of different reasons. China kind of popped up on the radar and I thought, hey, you know what, good opportunity to kill a few of the proverbial stones. Uh, or birds without proverbial stone, um, and uh, you know, do some traveling, get paid, and um, you know, learn a foreign language. And so China just kind of ticked all those boxes. And uh, before I knew it, I hopped on that one-way flight from San Francisco to Beijing. Gotcha. Okay. That's awesome. So now I, we obviously need to know what happened because I, I kind of have an I have an idea. I'm going to just throw out there, and I, well, maybe I should let you. You're obviously going to explain the whole situation, but. Could this maybe have had something to do with that school that you opened? Yeah, so um, day one, essentially, uh, was, was a police raid on our office. <clears throat> and so we've all seen iterations of this. I had seen it pretty much every year that I was working in Beijing. Um, and so the police came in, asked us a few questions. 
Uh, and where I first realized things were different and odd was that we were asked to go in the next morning into the police station. And that had not happened to me before. Usually what it was was, hey, police show up, ask a few questions, show us your passport, and then you know, you're kind of let off. Uh, this was different. There was a number of questions. We were sorry, we were separated, uh, brought into different rooms, and then said, "Hey, you know, come to the police station tomorrow morning." And to me, I was not concerned at first because I was like, "Hey, yeah, just another police raid. I've got my legal alien permit, working visa. All of my documents are above board, incorporation papers, PSB, um, state um, police registration. Everything was above board." So I wasn't even really concerned. I was like, "No, whatever." Um, and so uh, we go in the next morning and um, the police separate us again and they interrogate us for hours. All the proverbial questions that you kind of run into. Um, who are you? What country are you from? Do you know this person? What, com what company are you running? Uh, you know, but the, where things got weird in the interrogation for me was when the CCP police officers um, started talking about how much money I made. And they started saying like, well, do you know how much we make? Uh, and I was like, no, I, I don't. I don't even understand how this is relevant to the conversation. And then they started saying, well, you make too much money. And they were literally holding my tax documents and saying, like, you make too much money in this country. You make more than we make, kind of implying that that in and of itself was somehow illegal. Um, and so it took a lot of these kind of weird, odd tangents that you're just like, what? This is nonsensical. What is going on? What is the purpose? What is the reasoning behind this line of questioning? And so ultimately we were told, hey, you know, we, we were kind of let go and we were, said, we were told, hey, come back tomorrow um, and, and uh, you're gonna have to come back tomorrow morning. Um, and so we're like, okay, sure. And they, before they let us go, we were forced to sign a bunch of um, documents, uh, fingerprint and sign, just what we felt was like kind of ceremonial, just like a, hey, sign and fingerprint this, this just shows that you went through this process and you were here and this discussion happened. Of course, no time to um, read the documents. It was like 50 different pages. Um, and so downstream from that, what ended up happening was we went back the next day, uh, showed up to the police station, um, and we were told, hey, you just come back here, pick up your um, passport, and then you're going to be able to go, and that's going to be the end of it. Um, and that was not. Um, what ended up happening is we were kind of pulled into a room. We were um, sat there, and then like you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour goes by, and we're still sitting there, and we're like, this is weird. We should have just been picking up our passports. And through the window, uh, what we then see is this uh, Chinese prison, like kind of police transport vehicle pop up. Um, and my, one of the guys that I was detained with like nudged me in the arm. He's like, oh, that's for us, jokingly. Uh, minutes later, police rushed in, you know, stand up marched us out into the um, backside of this police transport vehicle van, van, which was literally just a cage. And so we're staring at them and, you know, we're just kind of talking and they're like, uh, you were, you're here illegally, get in the back. And we're like, uh, wh why? And so obviously now we're trying to press it, right? And so we're just like, I'm like, hey, hold on a second. I've got a legal work visa here. What am I being charged with there? But of course, CCP authorities, there's no due process. There's no human rights. There's no Miranda rights. There's no conversation in the cage and in the cage you go and so into cage number one as i refer to it in the book we went um, where we were just kind of locked up and then started being carted off uh, to multiple other destinations throughout the rest of the day okay um can i have a quick question so you mentioned in i believe it was in your either your book write-up or what one of my uh, subscribers told me is that you were taken to a black prison or a black jail can you explain to our audience what a black jail is so that no one's confused 
Yeah, 100%. So um, we were brought to a litany of different like places like prisons, uh, not prisons, um, police station after pr police station to processing centers where we were brought to, in some cases, to empty police stations um, in the middle of nowhere where we were underwent these weird medical tests and all this other kind of weird stuff before ultimately getting to a process center where we were charged with working illegally in the country. Uh, and then ultimately we were kind of end of the night um, again, we'd been in detention all day. We spent the entire day in a holding cell, um, no food, no water, just kind of just haphazardly and then, you know, drugged to all these places like throughout the night. Ultimately, we were brought to a black site prison cell, um, which does not exist on foreigner domestic maps. You cannot find it um, on, you know, Baidu maps or, you know, Google maps or anything. It does not exist um, for, you know, that purpose. And so uh, ultimately we, we, we get there to our final destination, which is this black site prison complex. Um, and this thing has like, I mean, it, this is not some rinky dink, tiny little holding cell, you know, for, you know, where you're in detention or something. This is a military style prison compound. This thing has 30 foot multiple buried barrier entries, um, like gates, like just to drive through multiple checkpoints just to get in as like 30 foot high like concrete walls of barbed wire around the, the perimeter there are armed guards literally marching around this thing i mean this is no joke and we get there and we're just looking at each other like what is going on this is insane so we get in we drive through this courtyard we go into um the like kind of lobby if you will where we then get dragged through more odd medical procedures. We, I, we get separated. I get pulled into a nursing station. My blood gets drawn. My face gets shoved into an iris scanner. Uh, just a litany of just very odd things. You get stripped down naked, marched through a metal detector um, before all of your belongings are taken, thrown into a sack, and they're kind of carted off into a different room. Uh, and so then you're given this like kind of yellow-blue prison garb, uh, a pair of pants, a pair of like a, like a jacket, and like uh, um, sandals. Uh, and uh, then you're kind of taken over to a cart, like this bin, and then you're told to like grab a blanket. So we grab blankets and they're you know, stained with every kind of human fluid and mine was had blood on it and all this other, you know, just utter chaos. Um, and then you are marched into a separate, back through the lobby, through the backside, into a separate corridor where you're brought to an elevator into a separate kind of area. Um, you're marched through um, what looks like some type of, I mean, like, uh, torture. I mean, you've got these like chairs in different rooms where you, people are meant to be strapped in and like there's like head straps and stuff. I mean, it just looks like some type of horror movie. Uh, you're brought to this metal gate that leads then into a corridor. And then once again, we were separated. I was, uh, you know, and they said like, hey, you know, American, American, come here, you know, with all the guards around you. Uh, and then they opened the kind of cell door and then boom, you know, I was thrown into the first cell door uh, and that metal bar slams behind you. And then it's just like, you know, reality sinks in real fast and you're just like, okay, I'm now detained in a communist country in China of all places by myself. What the hell happens next? And it's just a horrifying, I mean, if you've seen any Hollywood movies where, you know, the prisoner just, you know, for the first time enters into prison, it's, it's that. It's just like overwhelming, like adjectives don't do it justice. There's not really a proper way to convey it uh, in the English language. It's just utter chaos. So yeah. how, how long were you in there and what was, can you describe life in the cell? Like who are you with? What did it look like? What'd you eat? Things like that. Yeah, hundred percent. So, um, I was locked up with about 17 other inmates, um, in an overcrowded prison cell that is not meant to house 17 inmates. 
you are sleeping on um, wooden planks uh, with your little bloodstained blanket, um, fluorescent lights beaming down on you like 24 seven, these lights never turn on. You can't sleep in there. There's room for maybe like eight grown men to sleep on those planks. There's 17 people, two are doing the watch. You have to do this nightly watch to make sure no one's killing each other. So there's like two hour rotating shifts where you have to stand like watch. And uh, so you can never really sleep in these conditions. You're essentially forcibly sleep deprived. Um, you eat through, you're all sharing one single squatter toilet. Um, you are locked up 24 hours a day. There's no like hour of sunlight or anything like that. You're just locked in the cell 24 seven. Um, you're eating um, a food cart kind of comes around where this like toxic yellow sludge is poured through a funnel into a red bucket in your cell um, where 17 inmates rush to just eat out of this, you know, yellow bucket, uh, this red bucket, this like kind of sludge. I couldn't eat it for like a good three days and I was starving. Um, and I've had everything in China. I've eaten every type of organ imaginable. I've had brains, so cicadas, bugs. I've tried all the things. So you can imagine someone like me having eaten pretty much everything you could possibly eat, unable to eat this yellow sludge, just to get an idea of how unhealthy and, and, and disgusting it was. Um, and so this was not uncommon. Routinely, I was pulled out of my cell uh, to go translate for foreign inmates who were on hunger strike. And so the guards would just come up and Nigoria, and Nigoria, and lie, lie, you know, American, American, come here, come here. So I'd have to, you know, go out of the cell, which was bad for me because then a lot of the other cellmates are just sitting there like, why is he getting out of the cell? Is he, is he talking to the guards, right? It's not a safe environment. There's like abject violence and, and mental instability, uh, which I write about and cover in the book. But then, you know, in one instance, there was a, a gentleman from South Africa in another cell um, who had stopped eating. Uh, and these conditions are designed to kill you. Um, they, there are suicide warning signs plastered on the walls. Um, they're horrific conditions. You see people break within you know, days of getting there. Um, people vomiting as soon as you know they arrive and they're locked up in these conditions. Uh, and so I would you know, go out and then the guards would say, hey, make him eat. And they just kind of point to this you know, poor gentleman you know, who stood there at the door, just standing there, freaked out, terrified, unable to contact his embassy, the outside world, same kind of conditions as all the rest of the cellmates, um, just unaware of what to do. And there is no protocol in this utter insanity and the chaos of it, the violence, the malnutrition, the toxic Beijing water, the tap water that you're drinking, if it's even on, it would, they routinely shut it off as well, which I think was a, another form of kind of psychological torture of sorts. So these conditions are horrific. Um, they're bad. Ultimately, I was given a 14-day sentence, but it's not just 14 days, you're in, you're out. 14 days for a foreign national is your, you serve your 14-day sentence, and then you fall into the hands of immigration authorities, CCP immigration. Um, and they get around to you if and when they get around to you. So one of the gentlemen in my um, prison cell that I was detained with um, was from uh, uh, Ghana, and he had spent uh, three months in there, no contact with the outside world, no contact with his embassy. We routinely told, as we were all told, it's illegal to contact your embassy, um, despite the fact that there was a phone literally down at the end of the hall that Chinese inmates were able to use on a daily basis, uh, we were not able to do that. So um, you don't know how long you're going to stay. You're held indefinitely incommunicado, which means no contact with the outside world. Um, just in utter chaos and things, you know, the violence, the mental instability almost go off the wrong way time after time after time. And I give a litany of different examples where I had to default to the translator because, you know, the Chinese inmates and guards didn't speak English, the foreign inmates there generally, ultimately, eventually one did, but at the time that I first got there did not speak any um, Mandarin. So I was the only person in there who could really translate. And so I was kind of defaulting to, you know, preventing fights, 
uh, translating for people on um, hunger strike. So ultimately, I spent on a total of uh, 21, 22 days in detention eventually when CCP immigration authorities got around to me. And then ultimately, I was um, just, they decided, hey, you're going to be deported. Um, and so I was deported um, back to uh, San Francisco, uh, just in a horrifically kind of you know, malnourished, um, sleep deprived, sick and, and PTSD ridden state. Sure. I, I want to ask you, you know, you spoke to a lot of the other inmates. What were most of them in there for? Foreigners, right? Yeah, the foreigners, yeah. obviously. The foreigners. Um, a lot of different things. So in my cell specifically, um, one of the things uh, was drug charges, um, fights, um, illegal employment, I would say, were the big three that kept kind of coming mm. up. Um, there were different iterations and, and there were exceptions. I think there was another gentleman from Ukraine in a different cell who had allegedly stolen a bike. Um, but there were you, you just hear a lot of different Sure. things and stories but in my cell those were the, the kind of recurring themes i gotta ask you quickly um when you started your english training center you obviously had a chinese partner because you have to what what happened with your chinese partner was he interested did he help you out or do you think it was perhaps him who got the, the authorities involved in order to do a hostile takeover of the business yeah uh, another possibility uh, nothing uh happened to any of the Chinese partners or people that I was working with, um, you know, it kind of begs the question like, hey, what, was there something else going on? Um, as you know, you're familiar, but the audience may not be aware, it is incredibly difficult to, as a foreign national, to start a WOFI or a wholly owned foreign enterprise in China. You have to go through a litany of additional like kind of red tape and bureaucratic nonsense. It takes longer, it costs more money. So yes, like we, I had a Chinese partner, um, but the people that I was working with, like nothing happened to, it was just literally me that was kind of rounded up and detained and, you know, carted off, if you will. I mean, the, the reason I ask is I actually know people who've been in similar situations who've been forced out simply because the Chinese partner sees the business as being profitable and really just want to cut the foreigner out. And the easiest way to do that is to lay some bogus charges against them and get them literally forced out. A friend of mine that... I knew in Shenzhen had the exact same thing happen to him. He didn't go to prison, though, but he was threatened with going to prison if he didn't, um, you know, exit the business, basically. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I think there are iterations of this. There are very kind of common throughout China, um, where if you're not one of, you know, on the big kind of corporate side of things and you're like a small independent business owner, like these things can happen. And the kind of nasty, negative um, lies and, and uh, stigmas that can be like kind of spread maliciously where, you know, you have to be... Chinese nationals might report you for one thing or the next. And you guys are familiar, you know, prior to your taping of uh, Conquering Northern China, you had the translator and the fixer, and then you had this like kind of nationalist who kind of like sold you guys out last minute. And, and, and so, yeah, we've all seen iterations of this, like, hey, that foreigner is bad when really you've done nothing wrong or it's a mistranslation on your you know video or your documentary that is intended to harm you, despite the fact that it is completely inaccurate, inaccurate. Um, and so then you get a litany of Chinese people who are like, oh, these foreigners hate China or they, they're, they're here to cause harm to the country. And then here comes, you know, this litany of just vague, uh, ambiguous security laws where you can just get rounded up and carted off for any yeah. reason. So, yeah, definitely not impossible. That's that's something that I really want our audience to understand is that you did nothing wrong. You know, from what you've told us, all your paperwork was in order. You were working legally on a work visa. And that's the thing that really is the, the crux of this matter is if they decide for whatever reason they're having a crackdown on foreigners, they can just 
throw all the legalities out the way. If they accuse you of something, it doesn't matter if all your ducks are in a row. They can still go ahead and just falsely imprison you and things like that. I know legitimately a lot of people have contacted me who've been arrested for drugs, for instance. You know, they contact me after they've been deported to tell me, you know, I didn't take it seriously before because I've made quite a few videos where I tell people, you know, don't smoke weed in China. It's a bad mistake. They're like, shut up. Everyone does it. And then when they get caught, they send a message to me like, holy shit, I wish I'd listened to you, you know? But that's yeah. legitimate. They were they were doing drugs. They did get tested in a bar raid or a school raid or something. Uh, and then they get they go through a very similar process to what you've just told me. Um, but it includes like an anti-drug portion where they actually have to learn about drugs being bad and stuff, you know? But the fact of the matter that they actually did something to break the law, but you didn't. And that's the scariest part of all of this. You know? Yeah. So that segues into my question is that I don't want, I, Winston and I both agree, we're not, we don't like this fear mongering aspect of things. So yeah, practical solutions is what we're after. So if you were to give advice to people going to work in China, it's not to say that you're going to be thrown in jail, but sure. what would your general advice be to someone that may be you know, thinking about going to China for work? That's, that's a tough question. Um, I and don't take this the wrong way. I, I might even respectfully disagree with the premise. I having gone through what I survived um, and having heard, if you're familiar with Otto Warmbier's story, the 21 year old who got caught in North Korean detention and, and flown back in a comatose state and died shortly, you know, a week after returning. I would even question whether China is a country that is ready to house foreigners this is a ticking time bomb that can happen to any Westerner. And I, not only did this happen to me, um, you know, and, and I, I'm not using my nationalities, anything, whatever, as an American national, but what I'm trying to convey is that this can happen to anyone who was in detention with me, not in my cell, but in other cells, people from Nigeria, South Africa, Germany, the UK, Russia, India, Pakistan, um, uh, I think Chile, Malaysia, uh, there was a litany of foreign nationals. So this, what I do convey it as, and this may not be a fun way to say it, if you are a foreigner living and working in China, you're sitting on a ticking time bomb that can go off at any time for any reason. And if you have any doubt about that, even if you do nothing wrong, such as me, where I didn't break a single law, you can be stripped and ripped out of your life overnight, instantly. And hey, even if you didn't do anything wrong and you're not even targeted, Maybe your country has some political disagreement with China. And then you look at the Michaels who are detained for now two years out of Canada in China. So there are so many iterations of this story. And I would respectfully almost question whether or not it is safe for anyone, any foreigner, uh, to live and work in China. And I think you and I were there during the glory days, I think, and you guys more so than me because you guys were there prior to my arrival. Um, but I got there again, 2011, 2012. Um, and there was some, you know, the post 2008 Olympic era where it was like kind of, hey, you know, we're welcoming fault foreigners and there's this international vibe and everyone's kind of on the same page. <clears throat> but that changed with the implementation of the you know, social credit system. And in the years that went by, there was a, a, I think, fewer and fewer foreigners. I felt, I don't know if there's any numbers to back that up. There was a change in the atmosphere as you got into 2014, 2015, the New York Times started getting banned. There was, I think, more political upheaval between like the West and the uh, and China. And so as this kind of changed, I think we were kind of, at least for myself and you guys as well, we're on the receiving end of 
this distrust of, of foreigners. So yeah, I would even maybe stand by, I'm not sure that I would suggest anyone be in China today. And if they are, I would even go as far as to say, you know, come up with an exit strategy uh, and go somewhere that does respect human rights, uh, where, you know, this is a story that nearly took my life. And I write about that extensively in the book, the extreme violence, the mental instability of some of the inmates, the um, conditions uh, where you're eating this, you know, you get into this malnourished, sick, disease-like state, you're drinking the, this tap water that is essentially going to kill you. All of these things compounded can literally take the life of someone, uh, if not, you know, something just as, as closely related. So, yeah, that's that's my answer. <laughs> you know, your story is very important for a number of reasons, but the main thing is, is that this happens to a lot of foreigners in China because of the language barrier and because of it being such a new and interesting place. When they get there, they don't seem to understand this danger that's just beneath the surface. And everything is all good and well until something happens. And that's when they change their mind. Mm. And that's why you get a lot of people who outwardly defend China and they, you know, love to go out there and say how wonderful China is all the time. But that's because nothing has happened to them yet. And when it does, they suddenly realize that all the the freedoms and uh, the idea of justice and the idea of the law and that sort of thing that they've been carrying with them from their own countries suddenly doesn't apply. You know, so you'll get an American there saying like, ah, oh, China's way better than America. America's a police state, you know, look at all the police shootings and the blah, blah, blah. China's so safe and so wonderful. And then when something happens to them, like they get caught for smoking drugs or they get caught up in something like you did, which is just completely beyond your control, only then do they realize just how bad that side of China is and just how dangerous it is and just exactly why there are political dissidents overseas complaining about the authoritarian government in China, you know, but it's only when something happens. So I think actually one of that segues exactly in what I was going to say is that you'll see uh, there's a symptom right now that you can see very clearly. And right now, as you talked about yourself, Steve, is that there was a shift. There was definitely a shift. There was always a problem in China with the way that foreigners were treated, obviously. And there's always been issues with the fact that there's no rule of law. But there has been a general shift in the way that they're dealt with now. And you see that. And this, the very clear symptom to me is the amount of apologists there are for the Chinese government. Foreign apologists on the Internet. And it's not to throw them under the bus or anything, but there's a reason that they've materialized. It's because... They know what the implications of being a foreigner are in China. They know that things like, like your situation, Steve, can happen to them. They know that there's no fair judicial system. So the idea is that if I go out here and put my, my name on the line and say, yes, the CCP is awesome. Yes, life in China is free and this is amazing. I do the CCP's bidding, then they're going to take care of me. Do you think that, do you, do you see that as well as maybe a symptom of, of how apparent it is that there is danger of being a foreigner in China? Oh, 100%. I mean, I devote an entire chunk of my book, literally at the beginning, to describing how blissfully ignorant I was, thinking that I knew all of the things. I mean, I was well-traveled. I hold multiple passports and citizenships. I'd been around the world. I'd been through Europe, Latin America. I speak multiple languages. Um, I had my you know, fancy university degree. I was, like, I, you know, I, was like, I was educated. I was untouchable. I could go anywhere and be safe. I talk about how blissfully ignorant and arrogant I was as a young 22-year-old who was you know, starting to head into China, wholly unaware of the litany of people who were warning me saying, hey, be careful, 
that's a communist country, not understanding, you know, yeah, sure, I studied communism in school and I was familiar with the broader kind of implications of it to a degree, but the harsh realities of um, human rights violations in communist countries were not apparent in a direct way to me. So all of these wise, brilliant, smart people who were like, hey, be careful, I was just kind of neglecting and not really paying attention to. Um, and uh, so, yeah, there's there's that part of it, but then there's the worrisome component of it, the Western apologists who do carry water for the CCP, um, who do push this kind of propaganda and these videos, and I've done exposés on them uh, on YouTube and stuff, kind of exposing some of their egregious content where human rights is associated and equated with the ability to drink a street beer and bob and weave in and out of traffic, yeah. inconveniencing the local Chinese population, which by the way, they're not, you know, they're disciplined, they're humble. And I, I, I talk extensively about the difference between the Chinese population and the CCP. There's mm -hmm. a slight on the Chinese population. They were so warm and welcoming and hospitable uh, to me during my stay as a guest in their country. Um, but then you look at, you know, these kind of Westerners bobbing and leaving in and out of traffic drunkenly and fail, they fail to recognize the humility, the discipline, the sacrifice of the culture that they're in, the society that they're in, the fact that they're inconveniencing the local Chinese population. They are acting as if they are some type of, you know, superior class of people, um, completely failing to grasp the society that they're in. Uh, meanwhile, simultaneously equating human rights, not with religious freedom or, or you know, the ability to have a free press or, or free speech or anything like that, but instead equating human rights to the ability to chug a street beer, you know, in the middle of the day, inconveniencing the local population. It's so sad and it's so obviously, I think anyone kind of rationally thinking and watching this, especially with exposure to China knows this is nonsense. This is utterly egregious and, 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 and idiotic. Um, but yeah, it's really sad and they kind of normalize this behavior because they don't have the exposure. They don't have the um, experience with the black site communist prison cells that I almost died in with the um, kind of, you know, uh, Xinjiang uh, torture camps, the human organ harvesting of everyone, Chinese Christians, Tibetan Buddhists, political dissidents, human, right dis uh, human rights lawyers, Falun Gong practitioners, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They are blissfully ignorant and said, kind of point around and look at the buildings and say, ah, the CCP. No, that, <laughs> that's not all of it. There's a lot more. And then at the same time, routinely demonize where they come from, the West. America is bad. The United States is evil. You know, the minorities are treated poorly. And I'm like, you have no idea. Like, first of all, if you care about the plight of minorities, I happen to be one. I'm biracial and have two immigrant parents. You might want to go ask how the you know religious you know persecution of, of Muslim Uyghurs are in the country you literally you live in. You know, and, and they don't ask those questions because they know if they ever do, they're going to be kicked out of China yeah. instantly. Uh, and drug through the psychotic, nightmarish conditions of these black site prison cells. So. Yeah. Thank you for coming on and stay awesome, mate. Right, guys. Um, thank you for bearing through with the uh, interview. It was very good to speak to Stephen. Um, and th there's a little more to his story. You know, he's one of the many people that I know who have been through this kind of situation in China. He's just gone ahead and written a book about it, which, by the way, is in the description. There's a link if you're interested to to read his book where he goes in detail about his experience. Feel free to check it out. It's always good to support people who have been through this kind of thing and who help spread the word. Um, but the interesting thing is that when he tried to uh, set up his book on Facebook, uh, it was basically taken down and blocked by Facebook for 
apparently breaking rules. And this just shows you how the CCP is reaching out and censoring things on Western social media once again. There's a lot of that going on. But yeah, I'm sure you all have a litany of questions that you would like to ask. Um, and so I think it's time for me to jump because we still have uh, the rest of the show to go into. But I'm going to jump into some of these super chats and answer them. Uh, again, I wanted to just say thank you for Stephen. Uh, thank you to Stephen for coming on the show. And I'm pretty sure his story will, is at least a little bit enlightening to some people out there. So let's get into some of these uh, super chats. Okay, we've got one over here, which says from um, Power Shift says, great show, Winston. Keep on keeping on. Thank you. I appreciate it. The Average Joe says, any second thoughts on Elon Musk's Weibo account you covered last week? I agree that your comment with your comments last week, he is going too far. Yes, actually, I reached out uh, to a couple of people of my Chinese friends and asked them what the hell was going on with his, you know, big communist, you know, we put the picture up. He said that Weibo has been randomly, uh, during that time, randomly selected certain um, accounts and put that on. So it wasn't probably wasn't Elon Musk who chose that background, but that doesn't change the fact that he still congratulated them and all the other stuff. That's all real. And that was his real Weibo account. So, you know, just, just putting that out there. Next, we have um, from uh, Retrig202. Nice job on going solo today, Winston. Uh, love the creepy beach monkey next to you. Stay awesome. Thank you. Yeah, this 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 guy. I tell you what, he's uh, he's real real creepy. You know, that's my my viewpoint of him is staring at me out the side of his eye. It's not. Uh, yeah, let's hope this doesn't become a permanent fixture. Don't worry. Simul could be back next time. <laughs> okay, next um, from Anne uh, Carlson. Thank you very much. If the U.S. were smart, they would back off of Japan and allow Abe's idea of Japan having nuclear arms would be a great deterrent to the CCP PLA aggression. You know, <laughs> when you go look at history, you might might think that's not the best idea in the world. You know, nowadays, the world we live in right now is very different to the world how it was 70, 80 years ago. But at the same time, you know, we have to learn from our mistakes in the past. And, uh, you know, if at all possible, we should be avoiding war. But And and I hope that we do continue to avoid it. But uh, the way things are going with China, they really are very bullish. And uh, they're um, pushing a lot of buttons, let's put it that way. Uh, Skidoosh says, I live in Suzhou. I remember that crackdown. They were going to the bars, blocking the doors and testing every foreigner there. Yeah, it wasn't just in Suzhou. It's, uh, I got stories from people in Beijing and uh, people in Shenzhen and various parts around the country this this occasionally they do it kind of once a year whenever there's some reason to they do a big crackdown on foreigners and they target the foreign bars and and foreign clubs and and schools and so on when i used to be uh teaching at for instance uh, the english training center you know the one with the rape ape beach monkey guy his training center was an adult training center uh we got raided by the police three times and they would just come in and they would check all the passports and all the paperwork of all the, the the teachers that worked there. And it was always just like an unannounced thing. They would come in and check the paperwork. And sometimes they'd need to have a drug test or whatever, depending on whatever they were doing at the time. So anyone who's worked ESL in China in a big company for a number of years will tell you that there's been a couple of incidents like that. It's kind of normal. So you just don't want to be caught up in a situation where you do have drugs in your system, for instance, or your visas expired or anything like that. Eski says, uh, Winston, how do you get Seamilk to shut up for so long? Actually, that's that's an interesting question. I don't really know. 
<laughs> Just kidding. It's I know the show's not the same without Seamilk, so don't worry. This is temporary. He's in Seattle. For those of you who just joined, uh, he's doing that uh, was a Dreamweaver, uh, Dreamweaver knitting course or whatever it is. Sorry, what am I saying? He's doing a a, a Dreamcatcher uh, knitting course over there. So anyway, let's move on. Uh, Rintaro S says Laogama. Okay, excellent. Let's move on to our next segment, guys. We're not going to have a Wuma corner today. Uh, we're going to leave the hate alone for this week. We've had enough negative nonsense. We're going to go straight into Worldview, where we talk about everything uh, with regards to China in the world. And it's kind of like what's new, but a little different. So what I'm going to show you here, guys, is uh, Xinhua, which is... Okay, guys, Xinhua is the official, official top news outlet of the CCP. It's how they get their information out there, right? And... They've put out a. They always put these really offensive cartoons out there. Um, you know, I could go through them and make a whole show about the offensive cartoons. But this one I just thought was quite funny because they put out a cartoon of uh, Uncle Sam, uh, you know, America basically uh, as a baby hoarding vaccines, saying "All mine, COVID nineteen vaccines, they're all mine." And it says, "How many deaths must the world suffer before a baby learns to share?" Now, first of all. Coming from the country that created this pandemic in the first place, and if I, I say that from the point of view of, okay, play it safe and say that it came from animals, right? When the outbreak happened in China, the mismanagement of the CCP is the reason it spread across the world. So if anyone's going to be pointing fingers, I don't think China should be pointing fingers at America for not sharing vaccines. I think everybody should be pointing fingers at China for allowing it to spread. You know, and when I say China, I mean the Chinese government, because they're the ones who prevented domestic travel while allowing international travel at the exact same time. So they're the ones that kept the very vital information that it was human to human transmissible that they knew. And it's been proved that they knew they kept that from the world. And in fact, they even duped the World Health Organization into believing that that wasn't the case and parroting their message when they knew if the world had been more prepared, it wouldn't have spread the way it's spread. And this is down to the mismanagement of the CCP. Never mind the lab leak theory, the theory that they probably created this particular strain and all that. That's something else. I'm taking that completely out. It's just the mismanagement mismanagement of the CCP. So for them to make a, a thing like this is kind of absurd. But I just wanted to remind a couple of people about a few things that have been happening. Here's a, a headline which says, Taiwan's president said China interfered and in and delayed its COVID-19 vaccine de deal with uh, Pfizer, BioNTech. And yeah, I mean, the German uh, German company that was busy, they, they had a deal to send vaccines to Taiwan and it was uh, at the last minute cancelled and that was due to interference from the Chinese Communist Party, at least by all accounts. The next, let's take a look at something else. Canada had a big thing. Days after announcing a deal, Ottawa learned China blocked can Sino's vaccine shipment. You can read about this. Again, China has been using the vaccine thing as a, as a political chess piece. They've been trying to show, look how great we are at sharing the vaccine around the world. But at the same time, they've been sabotaging, you know, they've actually been sabotaging vaccines being sent to places like Taiwan and this deal with Canada. Read into it, you'll see what I'm talking about. But I also wanted to show you a, a picture of a banner in a local community over here, which I'm just going to get myself out of here so you can see. And it says, it's one of those typical propaganda banners that you see all around 
China, they get put up in local uh, communities, they get put up on the side of the road and, you know, in schools and everywhere. And this says, suffering Indians died massively due to COVID. Lucky Chinese happily achieved universal vaccination. You, you do see this a lot. It's an, unfor an unfortunate uh, byproduct of, the, of society in China where it's good to celebrate the suffering of others as a way to say that, look how great we are or look how lucky or happy we are. And um, this other one, of course, which we talked about when it happened, this was right at the outbreak of COVID. A restaurant put this banner up, which says, huge congratulations to the American pandemic and long live the pandemic in little Japan. Shaorubin, which they say, it's kind of a derogatory way to say Japan. Okay, so the reason I'm showing you this stuff is it's kind of absurd to have the Chinese state media putting out a, a cartoon saying that America's being childish about not sharing its vaccines and people are dying because of that. It's, again, pot calling the kettle black. In fact, it's worse. You know what I mean? It's kind of like uh, the pot calling the cloud black. Now, clouds can be blacked. I have to choose something else. That's always white. What's always white? Paper. Okay, so the pot calling the sheet of paper black. <laughs> anyway, guys, um, it's now time for us to hit the Q&A. This is where I answer your questions today and you question my answers. So we still have a few um, super chats to get through over here. And uh, let me find it. Luckily, um, we should be able to get through these fairly quickly. Uh, Phil says, that sea milk jump scared me, Winston. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> I came up with this idea just before the show. That's why it's so shoddy. Um, Seamilk doesn't even know about it. So, <laughs> And Alec says, penny for your thoughts. Thank you, Alec. Um, right now, I'm just hoping that everyone out there who's watching the show is going to have a fantastic weekend. Honestly, that's what I'm thinking. You know, uh, we've had to discuss a pretty somber topic, and that's Chinese jails, which... I have no personal experience with. The closest I got to, to a Chinese jail was when there was that whole thing outside the massage parlor, and it's a story you've probably heard a hundred times from me, but long story short, um, I got beat up by a crowd, and the police took me to the local sort of police station where they detained me there, and they called in, uh, you know, the other people, and, you know, they let me go the same night, so they brought in a translator and stuff, and we figured it out, and we had to like broker a deal and I ended up paying them 50 RMB, um, which it was, a, it was a crazy thing. It was a crazy, crazy situation. I have talked about it at length and I will talk about it again in the future, I'm sure, because the older I get, the more I tend to repeat myself, which is an annoying side effect of getting old. I'll tell you that much. Um, let's see. Uh, next one is, do you guys take any requests for subjects for video? Yes, we do, actually. Uh, a lot of people reach out to us on Patreon and, and ask us to do subjects and we're very happy to do that. But, you know... If ever we see a good topic to cover, whether it be through Patreon or just a comment on our videos or whatever, we'll do it. I mean, we we really want, and that's always been at least what I've wanted to do, is to help people understand China better. So if you have a question about China, about how it works, what it's like there, anything specifically to do with China or relations with Chinese people, um, I'm very happy to make a video about it and, and help you understand. Um, okay, next one from World Traveler 232 Several of the viewers are asking, how do we bring about change? Like, can we have a template mail and contact state reps and ask for policy changes? Yes, look, that's the beauty of places like America. It's not something that I'm used to. 
where I come from. But in America, you can write your congressman. You can write your local senator or whatever it is. I don't even know how the system works here, to be honest. But you can write them uh, with your uh, specific concerns. And you know what? It does actually occasionally make change. It's very important. Uh, so I think that's a great thing about you know Western-style governments. I'm sure it's the same in other countries around the world. I know in South Africa, if you try to write a, a mail to the government, uh, the, the mail will get stolen simply because everything in the mail gets stolen. What they do with it, I don't know. Maybe they burn it for fuel for their fire or something. The people at the post office, I have no idea, but it never works. <laughs> anyway, um, and to be completely honest with you, the best way to affect any kind of change when it comes to China's policies is to put a spotlight on it. If China is doing something bad, for instance, the only way you're ever going to change them from doing that bad thing is to make them lose face, is to give enough public exposure to it to, to the point where they like have to acknowledge that they're doing it or they have to make another plan and change what they're doing because there's just too much of a focus on it and they're too embarrassed to keep doing it. It's the only way to do it. And that's why it's so important that you are part of this discussion with us. Not, not really creepy C-Milk, you know, the real one. But it's super important that you are here to discuss this with us and to just talk about it. Next time you get into a conversation with someone who's ignorant about China, who doesn't know anything about China, who may be complaining about something and you can bring it up and say, well, actually, I heard this is what it's all about. That helps. The more people that know about the things we're talking about here, the better it's going to be for everyone. Because right now there's just this onslaught of Chinese soft power propaganda everywhere in the media, newspapers, apps, news. You know that Apple News or Google News that pops up on your phone? That's full of Chinese propaganda too because they pay, they've got a massive, massive budget to get it in there. They've got a lot of people who are incentivized to push it. So that's why. Talk about it, guys. All right. Uh, Rum Runner said, add the story to the litany of things that happened in the PRC, but never happened in Taiwan. Taiwan number one. And yes, you know what? I actually do know somebody who's been through the prison system in Taiwan, and it's very fair. You get lawyers, you get courts, you get everything. But in China, it's not the same. And that's something people have to understand, especially Americans. Man, you guys are spoiled. Uh, you grow up in the society where you have all these rights, man. You know, the police stop you and you don't consent to a search. They can't search you, you know, type idea. You can say, I know my rights. I can call a lawyer. You can fight things. You can go for uh, appeals if you lose your case. There's all these things that you can do. You can get, you know, little human rights um, groups involved or the Veritas Project or the Freedom, whatever they call them. You know, there's all these things. You can, you've got so many options is what I'm saying. If you have been falsely accused of something in America, there are ways to fight it. And not just America, the UK, various other places too. There are ways to fight it. There are options. In China, there are no options. And that's why I would cringe hard whenever I'm speaking to specifically Americans in China who kind of going around like as if they rule the roost, doing stupid drunken stuff and whatever. And they're like, whatever, I'm an American. You know, like anything happens, my government will help me out. It's like, no, dude, this is China. It doesn't work that way. But that attitude gets a lot of people into trouble in China. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, Alex says, China updated policy not to report deaths in battle. Do you think in war they can hide tens of thousands of single childs dying um, so to sway the country narrative? I can't confirm whether or not what you said there is true, but it wouldn't surprise me if it is. 
the last thing they need to do is lose lose morale and get uh, you know the the military losing morale during a conflict because that would happen. <clears throat> Maybe sunshine. Thank you for the ba 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 eight point eight eight. That's a very lucky number in China, by the way. If you have been watching the show, you'll know that some people in China will pay. I'm not even joking. Millions of dollars to have a license plate on their car that is all eights. Or a phone number that has a lot of eights in it, they'll pay hundreds of thousands of US dollars. I'm not even joking. Look it up. It's it's absurd. If you want a cheap number in China or a cheap license plate, go for one that's got a lot of fours in it because four means death, you know, so people hate that number. Okay. Eagerfish Japan, nonprofit organization, says, Guess who's back? Shady's back. Nice to see you here again. David Ward, thank you for your generosity, David. That's fantastic. Please keep fighting the good fight. Certainly will. Me and Creepy Sea Milk here. Wow, that's creepy. Get out of here. Get out of here. Go. Go away. Stop. Yeah, me and Creepy Sea Milk will fight this, uh, keep fighting this fight until real sea milk gets back, which will be um, in about a week and a half, thereabouts. Okay, great. And thank you, David, once again. Uh, case closed. The jail story would have been even worse if it was a woman. Uh, yeah, who knows? Who knows? Uh, it's pretty horrific. You know, the way Chinese prisoners are treated in China is really horrific. Uh, I've seen documentaries made by Chinese state media where they're trying to show it in a good way. Like, look at how well they're, you know. I remember watching one in particular about women women that were on death row and they were showing the conditions they lived in. But they had done it in such a way to try and show how good and how nice they were to the prisoners but it looked appalling it looked terrible it's soulless i do not know how to explain it to you and it's going to be something that's very difficult for anyone to understand unless they have lived in a developing country like africa like i have um to really know what it's like you know american prisons are like a luxury hotel you get tvs and stuff in there you know you get all sorts of you get lights out <laughs> you know, as Stephen was explaining, they have fluorescent so lights on 24 hours a day. They don't turn the lights off. And you get to sleep on the most, in the most uncomfortable, terrible situations. It's not good. Anyway, um, you can try to look more of this up and you'll see. Uh, let's see. Messaged a few weeks ago. This is by uh, Yunko Enoshima or Junko, probably Yunko. Messaged a few weeks ago about buying a Zongshin motorcycle. I absolutely love it. And riding it has been a dream. Thanks for the inspiration. It's freedom. Absolutely, man. Look, any motorcycle is going to give you freedom, even if it is a Chinese motorcycle. Just if it's being sold in the U.S., that's good. That means it's had to pass certain regulations. A lot of the Chinese bikes I rode in China were absolute death traps. One particular one. Uh, the triple tree, which holds the front forks on, actually just snapped while riding. And so the whole front end of the bike fell off. You don't want that to happen to you when you're in traffic. Anyway, MJN, <clears throat> gas for the bikes. Hope to see you back on the road again soon. Yes, thank you so much. And yes, we will be back on the road soon. It's There's something happening. Yeah, something happening fairly soon, which is going to involve a lot of travel. And it's going to be fun for us to share with all of you. Uh, Winston, these this is from... Uh, <clears throat> sorry, um... Saptarshi Sengupta says, Winston, these sorts of kidnapping attempts are also, also common in RSA, right? Republic of South Africa. Do you think she would be more likely to get helped if this, helped if this happened in the Republic of South Africa? Yes, absolutely. You know, it depends where you are, but the majority of people in South Africa still help if there's someone in trouble. And, I mean, myself included. I've, when somebody has a car accident, 
people stop to help. They don't just drive past, at least in my own experience. Uh, it's something that shocked me about China is that when somebody is in need and in, uh, really needs help, people don't step in. And it happened to me. Like I said, that time I was getting beaten up and all that sort of thing. If the police hadn't been going past in one of their golf carts and me screaming bloody murder, um, nobody would have stepped in. I would have just been beaten to death, the most likely. I got beaten up bad, man. My head was swollen. I, it was it was something else. Anyway, um, J-Man Nice Guy says, when my Chinese girlfriend tells me she wants us to move to China, I say, hell no, because of this. But I showed her mom your various channels, which she liked, but your toilet video gave her bad flashbacks. Yeah, you know, quite common uh, amongst my subscribers, the guys who end up marrying a Chinese woman, especially a middle-aged one, um, they bring them over to the States or they meet them in the States or whichever country, not just the States, Australia or, you know, any other country around the world. And after a while, the wife tries to convince them to go back with them to live in China. This happens to a lot of people. But, you know, it's not the same. If you marry someone in the States, they can get a green card. They can work. They can integrate. But you can't do the same in China. You can't go to China just because you're married to a national work. It's not possible. If you want to work, you have to apply for a separate work visa, which requires a minimum of a bachelor's degree, two years working experience. You need to have a special skill that gives you an alien, uh, what do they call it again? Foreign expert certificate. There's all sorts of things. You can't just go and work. So you will go over there and you'll find yourself isolated. You can't speak the language. You can't read the signs. You can't do work. You can't participate in society as a, as a normal, normal person. And, uh, you know, you can't open a bank account or you set up your WeChat or anything without a lot of help from somebody. It's a real pain in the ass. You have no idea. So I always suggest if you're really serious about it, go there first. Give it about a two month. Go there for two months and see after two months if you think you can hack it. But the majority, in fact, all 110% of people that I know, they go there, they try it out. It doesn't work. They end up back in their country. So... You know, just bear that in mind. And it's also, I, I have some advice for the Chinese women or Chinese men that are marrying a foreigner. If you are marrying a foreigner in a foreign country, that's your choice. You should stay there then. Like, you're going there to do it. Don't marry them with the idea of taking them back to China because that's not going to work out. It's the same, I mean, it's, it's the same for, uh, you know, foreigners that go into China and get married there. Don't expect that you can take your wife or your husband back home with you that's not how it works you know you're going there to their country and i speak from my own experience because my wife had to give up a lot to come back with me uh, to leave with me to go to the states she didn't want to she had her life there she had her business and all that she did it because she loves me because we have a great relationship um and you know it, it was tough and I know how tough it is for her, but it was just impossible for me to stay in, in China. And, uh, you know, we have a great life together, so she's happy and I'm happy. But, you know, just remember, that's it's kind of key. Anyway, next. Uh, we've got uh, Culture, Culture Diabo. <laughs> nice, thank you. Uh, Joshua Rhodes, thank you. YouTube algorithm suggests me this channel, legendary content. Thanks for sharing. Thank you for being a part of it. I appreciate it. Michael Scott. You couldn't use a blow-up doll and put Seamilk's face on it. If you are thinking of doing so, don't forget to put the mouth hole on Seamilk's face. Okay. No. First of all, I, I wouldn't be buying a blow-up doll. And second of all, this works just fine. <laughs> uh, Black Halo 6. If he's in Seattle, tell him to hang out with me. 
Yeah, I mean, when he's done with his Dreamcatcher weaving class or whatever, don't know how long that takes. Maybe he will. Uh, maybe he will. Oh, looks like this thing's doing its weird thing. Okay, Run Runner. Run Rum Runner says, if China does try to take Taiwan, I have no doubt India will seize the moment and retake their lost territories. The PLA can't fight a war on two fronts. So that's an interesting point. And I think China knows that if they did make an aggressive move on Taiwan, it would be a big mistake because that would actually just plunge every... It'd be a World War Three moment. Um, Wing 083. That guy's experience in the Chinese prison uh, very much sounds like the prisons in Thailand. Are most Southeast Asian countries like that? Vietnam, for example? Uh, yes. Yes, absolutely. You know, you have to understand when you travel to these different countries to be very careful. You know, in Thailand, if you if you stand on the money, you know, with the king's face on it, you can go to jail for that. It's uh, There are certain things you really shouldn't do in certain countries. You've got to be educated. And a lot of people make stupid mistakes when they go to certain countries. You know, you don't want to go to a Muslim country and then uh, openly, like, drink a beer or dress provocatively or something. It could get you in trouble. You know, there's certain things you got to know. But that's up to you. If you're traveling somewhere, you should be educated about it, you know. Blake, Black Halo 6. Uh, Winston, never seen colored construction paper? <laughs> no. I mean, I have, but yeah. Um, thank you again, Culture Diabo. PB says, Winston... What does one do to stay awesome? Please enlighten the, pro the proletariat. Also, did you read the recent report by Tsai Xia? Great insider's perspective. I haven't read that report, and I will read it. And to stay awesome is literally just stay the course. You know, my I actually have a video about why I started to say stay awesome. Um, and it's it's very straightforward. A lot of people go through, everybody goes through tough times in their life, but sometimes you're going through something that just seems unbearably tough, like there's no end in sight, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. And it's during those times that you have to stay strong, stay awesome is what I say, just stay true to yourself, no matter how much the world is trying to push you down, no matter how much people are criticizing you, no matter how many people are trying to disrupt your life and end your life and, and uh, sabotage your life. You just stick it through and you will get through it. You know, the toughest, toughest times usually take around about, well, I'm not going to give it a time frame, but it, it takes time, but you get through it. You know, like when my brother died when I was very young, it was a very tough thing for me to deal with. Um, but you get through it. It takes time. It can take years. It can take months. It can take weeks. You get through it. When terrible things happen to you and it seems like you're screwed, like if, like this guy, if you go to jail, if you get detained, if you've ever been in a situation that's beyond your control, um, you stick through it and get through it, stay awesome. That's what you do. Uh, Jake Hughes. Evening, fellas. How was Hu Jintao compared to Xi Jinping? How do they differ? And what is Hu Jintao's legacy? I got to tell you something, Hu Jintao uh, it was way nicer than Xi Jinping in so many ways, <laughs> at least living in China under his leadership, which was a weak leadership, and that was the good thing about it. It was weak. So it allowed the Chinese society and populace to flourish and open up and change in a positive way, become more Western in many ways. And Xi Jinping came in and reined all that crap in, and he was a strong leader uh, in a bad way because he wants to be Mao Zedong 2.0. Uh, Golden Age Flash says, The nearly abducted woman was fortunate that, uh, with added bonus of video, for one escape, there are 50 women abductions with no video. 
High chance they will be human trafficked. China is not my problem. Culture promotes this evil. You know, I read up on the story and the guy who tried to kidnap her was actually an ex-boyfriend. Um, so it was a personal thing. But yes, people get abducted for human trafficking, especially children get abducted in China. And people think, oh, China's got this great surveillance state. There's like cameras everywhere. It doesn't stop people. You, you look at those cameras, the qualities are shit most of the time, and half the time they're not working. At least every time I've had something stolen in China, they don't work. So if they kidnap a child, it's really just luck of the draw whether or not a camera was working and if it's good enough for them to see a license plate. or And usually they get kidnapped on like a moped or a motorbike or something, which you can't trace anyway. It's, it's not a good situation. Uh, okay. Arn Carlson says, <clears throat> I understand the concern of Japan having nuclear arms given the past, but they are pe a peaceful nation. I am anti-war. I see it as a deterrent only. Yeah, I mean, sure. I'm all for nuclear deterrence. Uh, motherfucker says, <laughs> will China invade India before Taiwan? <clears throat> I don't think they will invade India. I just don't, I don't feel that they will do that. They'll keep pushing that border region, though. They'll keep poking and salami slicing or whatever it is they say they do. Um, <clears throat> thank you, Alistair uh, Gillifin from Australia. Appreciate it. Lord Hypnos, I apologize if you get this a lot. Don't, uh, <clears throat> I don't get to catch these often, but any updates to when you guys will appear on Timcast? Love y'all's videos. Yep, I have to speak to Seamilk, you know, and not this, not this, not this creepy version of Seamilk who's just incredibly creepy, the real version, because he does all the communications and, and to be honest, most of the admin when it comes to ADV China. So I'll speak to him and find out. Um, by the way, there are nukes in Japan. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Well, I know there's a Fukushima uh, plant was nuclear, but that's not, not a nuclear weapon. Uh, okay, cool. Dino Sheaf, thank you very much. Black Hole 6, petition to make creep milk permanent. <laughs> I really don't want creep milk to be permanent. Thank you very much. Um, and uh, Ega Fish says again, you can sell Seamilk's dolls. <laughs> no, thanks. Uh, Big Scorp, seltzers on the house for you and Seamilk. I very much appreciate that. Uh, Dwayne Go Gomez says, will China allies like Cuba, Iran, Russia, etc. start detaining anyone the CCP wants detained? It's entirely possible. There's reasons why we will never travel through Hong Kong anymore or travel through Laos or certain, certain countries which are beholden to China. It's an unfortunate situation, but it may actually end up like that. Uh, Wing083. So is there any actual way to avoid this? Uh, what this guy went through, or is it pretty much luck of the draw, like how the CCP even made uh, fun being, being banished? Yes, I. this is the point. From what he's told us, and I have no reason not to believe him, he was legitimate and he had all of his paperwork in order. And I'm guessing, it's my own personal guess, that it was probably one of his business partners wanted him out of the business and simply just uh, told the police that he's working illegally and doctored a, a something or other to cause this to happen. Just simply because I know other people that have been through something similar. You could be nabbed... If someone doesn't like you in China, if you're doing business dealings, if you're in a relationship with a girl and there's a powerful, connected guy who fancies her or something like that, you know, you could also get into trouble. China and the, the law there is also based a lot on guanxi and, you know, connections. So especially if you tangle with someone who has government connections, you could be in this kind of trouble. 
But yeah, it, it could be a stupid thing. Like there's there's a popular Reddit thread at the moment going around about another guy who was incarcerated and he was drunk and the police got involved and he was kind of doing some pushing, shoved one of the policemen and so he got arrested for attacking the people's police or whatever and he had to go through the whole thing spent what was it 10 months in prison or something it happens a lot it happens a lot more than you think so you know i can show you this one specific example here i can talk about some of the people i know but this happens a hell of a lot in china but for the reasons i stated in the beginning of the video people don't normally talk about it and it's completely hushed and it's not said in chinese news they don't talk about it. it's not put out there in the news that's why it's kind of bizarre. Like you heard from him, there were foreigners from all over the world being detained at the same time as him. But you don't hear about it. You don't hear, oh, a Pakistani and a Nigerian and a um, South African and all this. You don't hear about them being detained. Where's the news about them being detained? You don't hear about it. I mean, there was that case a while ago where a whole group of South Africans had been detained because their agent had got them work illegally for a university and had some weird scam. And the whole lot of them get, got detained and they had to do like a crowdfunding thing to um, raise money to deport them back because they couldn't afford to fly back after they were detained and, and deported. It's, it happens a lot. Okay. Uh, Eggerfish Japan just re-entered re Japan after seven days quarantine and negative COVID test. I, if I contract COVID, it's not from USA. Okay, well, congratulations. Maybe sunshine. What about uh, making CCP Xinjiang voodoo dolls? <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, Valikia. Uh, Love but hate creepy milk. Thanks for consistent, engaging, and educational content. Haven't looked at Carden in the same way since. Oh, let's bring that in. <laughs> Sorry, needed a Carden this time. Lekmi um, in Ash says... The morality collapse in China started in 2006 when a judge in Nanjing ruled a guy named Peng Yu guilty of assault after he helped a fallen injured elderly go to the hospital and paid her medical bills. Yes, that is a very famous case where somebody who helped an elderly lady, um, the judge said, the only reason you would have helped her is because you're guilty. You're the one who caused it. And so he got, uh, you know stuck having to pay for a huge amount of money to her for the rest of his life and all that so from that was definitely a big flashpoint for people to stop helping in public but it's always kind of been like that since the Mao days you know it's a very untrusting society you have to understand the, the whole communist thing they bred society to um, look out for yourself and snitch on your neighbors and things like that it's not it's not conducive to being a friendly person you know uh, Subtarshi Sangupta, why is the CCP so perturbed about what Japan's leaders have to say uh, when they are going to spread xenophobic propaganda against Japanese people anyways? Well, you know, that's that's just the way it is, you know. It's kind of weird. It's kind of weird how it goes, man. <laughs> In China, people respect Japan. They hate Japan, but they respect They respect Japanese products. They respect Japanese pop culture, things like that. But at the same time, they violently are taught to hate Japan at the same time through TV and constant media. So it's a weird balance. So when some like someone high up in Japan says something, everyone takes it seriously. But at the same time, they completely hate Japan. It's a weird situation. Uh, Ivan says, great work, Winston. Miss you in SA. Uh, keep spreading the word. Your experience in China mirrors mine. I boycott Chinese suppliers. Thanks, Ivan. Ivan's a, a buddy of mine from many, 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 many years ago. We used to hang out, and um, I remember I got really drunk one time, puked all over his house. Um, that was a fun. That was a fun evening. Anyway, <laughs> uh, good stuff. 
Uh, Rum Runner, again, so are you planning on becoming a U.S. citizen? You know, I think people have the wrong idea about America, that you can just go to America and become a U.S. citizen. Immigration is incredibly hard. I'm on a visa. It took me like a year to get all my paperwork to get a visa. It doesn't lead to citizenship. I'd love to be a U.S. citizen. I honestly would. I love America. I think it's amazing. Uh, I know and I can see the faults of America before anyone jumps out there and says, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. But from all the places I've lived in the world, America, even with all of its faults, is still the best place I've ever lived, if that makes sense. I grew up in South Africa. I lived in China for 14 years. I've lived in the UK for a uh, short period of time. I've been around the world a fair amount. And honestly, complete honest to goodness, hand on heart, America is still the best place I've ever lived in my entire life. And I'd love to become a citizen. Who knows? Maybe it'll be possible. Uh, Ega Fish Japan says, um, from my experience, Japanese have no love lost for China. So no love lost between both. Sure, they don't like each other very much. Uh, Sida uh, Malim says, hey, Winston, first super chat. Have you ever read The Power of One? It's my favorite book, and it's set in South Africa. Well, thank you for your first super chat, and I have not read it, and I'll go and take a look. Thank you very much for the suggestion. South Africa is a very unique place. It's uh, a lot of interesting people and experiences have happened there, I'll tell you what. Koala 1203. Any chance we might see a creepy Winston doll in the future? Maybe. Maybe if I have to go off somewhere for a little while, Sea Milk will do something similar. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and Ega, Japan, Fish Japan, thank you. Again, open invitation standing. Understood and appreciated. Um, estrogen, estro generation. Creepy Sea Milk would make a great bobblehead. Actually, now you mention it, you're probably right. <laughs> My computer, nice to see you again. That guy's prison story should be printed in every passport. Outrageous. Great show, Winston, even with the creepy partner. Thank you very much, and thank you for your generosity. Uh, Saptarshi Samgupta. All of Chinese skirmishes with India are attempts to divert attention uh, away from stuff in their own home. Uh, even the 1962 war happened right during the Great Leap. It's true. Usually when there's something they want to uh, you know, take focus of a, a scandal in China they will focus on something like the Diaoyudao Islands, the Senkaku Islands, that kind of thing. I've seen it myself. Uh, okay, Athena92. You guys are the are the very first recipients of my first super chat. P.S. You should collab with Doug DeMuro. Forget about Beanpool. Okay. <laughs> thank you. And that'd be cool. We love cars. Doug DeMuro is a, a good car channel. And thank you for being the first uh, super chat. That's amazing. Um, okay. Uh, yeah. Sea uh, milk is a great doll. Makes some and sells some. Thank you, Blackhola Six. Oh, thanks for the four four four. Just figured out that I can put in a custom dollar. Thank you, appreciate it. Okay, Aaron Carlson, Winston, have you been to Phnom Phen? Uh, how do you even say that? Phnom. I I don't know how to say it. Phnom Phen. I know I know where it is. <laughs> he says I lived there once. It's uh, illuminating. The museums to the old communist regime are sad but educational. I have not been there, but I think it's a place that I would love to visit at some point, just to like, just see what you saw. Black Hole 6, right, we're almost done, guys. Black Hole 6, if it was up to me, I'd be happy to call you American. And I, I appreciate that very much. And you know, that's one of the reasons I think America's the best place I've ever lived in, is that I don't get treated differently. My, my uh, neighbors and the people I interact with every day 
don't treat me as if I'm an outsider or as if I'm some kind of a, a weird foreigner or something. Uh, some people might talk about my accent or, oh, where are you from type thing. And I enjoy those kind of conversations. But I don't get treated differently. I have a driver's license, which I can use as my ID. And it doesn't anywhere on that driver's license say foreigner. It's, it's a real ID. I can use it to fly on the planes. I can use it to, you know, purchase things. I can use it to, you know, open bank accounts, whatever. I feel like I'm a citizen here with no restrictions other than the fact, of course, that I can't vote. But my kid can go to school here. You know, I pay my taxes. Uh, I get my tax refunds and stuff from the government. I am. I even get bloody, uh, you know, whatever you call those things, requests to go on jury duty and stuff, which, of course, I have to write back and say I'm not a citizen, so I can't. I'd love to try it, but I can't. But it's weird to be treated as if you're a part of a society and not an outcast, for the first time in my life, even though I'm South African, that's how I felt in South Africa. Okay, and um, uh, Black Hole of Six is, yeah, uh, Winston Doll. Oh, great. And the final one, Marco Kane, five bucks towards an Australian citizenship application. <laughs> I appreciate that. Wow. Uh, thank you very much, everyone, for sticking through this solo, I guess, solo and a half um, episode. I hope you learned something. We will be back to normal. I think we're probably going to be skipping next week's podcast and that's simply because um you know Seamilk might not be back i cannot guarantee it but i'm pretty sure we won't have one if we don't have one i'm not going to try do this solo thing again i'll hold off and i'll wait until Seamilk's back so we can have a proper one again um and in the meantime i'm sure you can look forward to seeing the a usual video from myself and low 86 and all that kind of stuff in the meantime so until then I just wanted to say thank you once again. You guys are fantastic. I got I got three more super chats. I just have to answer before I sign off, before I try not to cut myself off. But uh, Abzu said, your visa allows for it. I think you, yeah, it would be incredible to see a South Africa trip. Here's five bucks towards some body armor. <laughs> I, I don't need a visa to go to South Africa. Um, and uh, the problem is right now, if you try to get into America, you're not allowed to fly to America from South Africa. It's forbidden. Um, I wanted my parents to visit to meet their granddaughter for the first time, and it's been impossible because they cannot fly out. It's just not allowed. The only way to do it would be to fly to uh, a country that accepts South Africans, stay there for a quarantine period of 14, 15 days or so, get another COVID test there that you have to uh, be negative, and then you can fly in. It's a it's a big, expensive, weird convoluted thing so going to south africa right now wouldn't be good um jason olson said my wife just got a green card good luck to your immigration happy to call you an american brother in the future cheers from detroit well congratulations that's fun. very happy news for you i'm sure and her um pb says been looking for birds in the city backdrop haven't seen one yet by the way do you have a favorite chinese word or phrase um yes i do um <laughs> Uh, Alistair Griffin says, um, uh, thank you, oh, Thank It's an absolute pleasure, mate. Um, sorry, going back to the, the thing about favorite word or phrase, probably the one that I actually just naturally say is like, ayah, which is kind of if you get hurt, or like if you stub your toe or something, or if something really frustrates you, just go, ayah, like that. It's kind of like a, damn it, I guess, is what we'd have in, in English, something like that. Um and yeah, it's pretty cool. Anyway, sorry, Alistair Griffin, Munzo, thank you very much. Really appreciate it, mate. Um, and Shifty, 
just do an hour-long stream with two dolls next Friday. I don't think that would ever happen. Anyway, guys, we're done. Thank you so much. I hope you learned something once again. Please keep watching. It's an important conversation we have here every week, and I can't wait to see you in the next one. And until then, you know the drill. Stay awesome, and I'm 